0: Hello everyone, how are you doing? And welcome to another episode of the Dr. Will Show, where we have the discussions on innovation, leadership, and becoming the CEO of you. Each week, I zoom in a thought leader, expert practitioner, or a content creator, and we chat about ideas and strategies that are aimed at giving you information to live your best life. Today, I am here with Leanna Hawkins, also known as The Hawk. How are you doing, Leanna?
1: I am fantastic. How are you, Will?
0: Quite well. And thank you for being a guest on the show. I love uh, your financial advice. It's real uh, simple to understand, but still thorough. And and going through your book, and we're going to get into that. You know, I I truly enjoyed it. I, I spent maybe eight hours going through, you know, most of the book in one sitting. And I was like, this is fantastic. And you're doing these videos as well. I see you out there on YouTube interviewing people doing it.
1: Yeah. So I, um, I come from a financial background. So when I go to a lot of these finance conferences and events, I like to talk to people that are in the finance field, like I've been for many years. Um, and a lot of people that I think that those that I speak to um, audience-wise in the book, so Gen X, Gen Y, those in their 20s to 40s, about the basics of finance I like to interview people that are in that same age bracket that work in finance that others might look up to in terms of, you know, you know, this, this guy or this girl, oh they know so much about money and they're so successful and they work in finance and how did they get there? And for a lot of those people, you know, they didn't get there because they were born with a silver spoon in their mouth or they just naturally knew everything about money. And now they work in finance and they're rich and they drive a Porsche and life is so wonderful. You know, everybody has their own story. And so I kind of, I like to highlight those stories because I've been working with a lot of these people for years and a lot of them had a tough road, but they had this interest in finance or in money one way or another. And, you know, they may have uh, not started off in that field and now they do work in that field. And I've I found a lot of them have interesting stories with pieces of advice, um, and I think a lot of their advice uh, and, and stories are of, of interest, so I like to capture that on video and, and send that out to people on YouTube to see and be inspired by.
0: Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So, for those who are watching, uh, well, we're not live anymore, but who will be watching the video cast or listening on SoundCloud and YouTube, SoundCloud and iTunes, excuse me, will you please introduce yourself?
1: So um, my name is Leanna Hawkins. I have been working in finance for over 13 years now and I've done a range of different things. I am originally from Vancouver, Canada um, but I've worked um, all over the U.S. uh, in Europe so I used to live in London and in France um, doing various different things mostly marketing and sales in high finance so hedge funds um, lots of different alternative finance and funds, doing mergers, mergers and acquisitions, consulting. So lots of different areas of finance, um, looking at the way companies are valued, um, both in the private and public markets. And um, so a lot of different stuff to do with investing. So investing is definitely my passion. And throughout that journey over the, the you know, all of my 20s and my late teens, and going through schooling and that as well, um, I always just had this passion for for money and, um, and investing. And it sort of came naturally when I was a teenager. Um, and this, this ties into our first question a little bit. Actually, my introduction is I got into this field um, when I was in 11th and 12th grade. When I was in the 12th grade, actually Jim Cramer, who a lot of people might know or have seen on CNBC, his, his show Mad Money, which Pacific Time is on at three o'clock every day. And that show actually came out when I was in 12th grade. So when I would come home from school, Um, I had already had this little money bug in the back of my head. I had a few friends of mine that were maybe four or five years old. There's some buddies that were in college and they were studying finance. They'd started trading in the stock market and they'd done very well already. And they had these really nice cars and this great lifestyle. And they were going out on the weekends and inviting me along sometimes. And I was always asking them like, what do you guys do for work? And aren't you guys just in college? And they were saying, oh, well, we're, we're trading stocks. And I was like, okay, well, You know, what does that mean? I don't even know. I don't even know what you're talking about. And they said, oh, this guy just came out with this TV show. You should watch this show. It's called Mad Money. So I think Jim Cramer is a great educator and a great teacher. So I started watching his show every day for an hour at three o'clock after school. I would write in a little notebook and he gives a lot of great educational tools. And, you know, I would write down some of his stock tips and then go research them after. And I just started learning that way. And, And then I went to school for finance. And that's just sort of the, the road that I started on. And I started reading his books and other books by Peter Lynch and uh, Warren Buffett, and The Intelligent Investor by Ben Graham, things like that. So self-educating and, and going through university and college and learning that way and, and working in the industry. So it sort of started as a natural self-passion. My family is a family of all engineers and teachers. So I uh, didn't grow up with anyone working as a stockbroker, advisor, or anything like that. Um, But natural interest and then it turned into a passion, uh, a long time passion and hopefully for many more decades to come.
0: Oh, yes. and You have an interesting uh, story, even about how you bought your uh, your house, which is, you know, it's, it's odd. I know I'm veering away from this interview, but I wonder why most more people who graduate from college and get their first job don't do that.
1: Well that's the thing I think is so hard now and a lot of this that you talk about in the book, a lot of people, um, this actually ties into our second question is sort of the two different types of financial hopelessness that I see in people. And this is what makes it really difficult right from the outset for young people nowadays is there's two different types of financial hopelessness. The first one is that a lot of people, why I wrote this book, a lot of people fall into my friends, siblings, I have um, colleagues that I work with, people in their 20s and 30s and this day and age now of modern urban living is that these urban centers that people all desire to live in are really expensive. Um, And because it's so expensive to live in these cities that people can barely afford their rent and everything else they have to pay for just to keep up with that rental lifestyle, much less at the same time being able to save up for that down payment. So I knew that while I was in college, that I wanted to buy a place right away. And I knew I wasn't gonna get a detached house, you know, right out of the gate, but I wanted to buy a one bedroom or a studio apartment. So as soon as I finished school, I got my first job and I lived with my parents for the first year after school because I was already kind of used to living with them. I knew that it would be really hard to go back and live with them again years down the road. But I have many friends that have done that now even, you know, in their early 30s, they're like, you know what, I'm, I'm sick of this. I, I really want to make it a priority to buy my own home. And I'm going to go live with my parents for a year. I'm 31 or I'm 35. I don't care. I'm going to go live with my parents for a year, save up, get it done, and, and do it. And so I think that's great if people want to do that and make it a priority. And that's really what the book is all about is figuring out what are your lifestyle priorities. What do you really want? What's going to make you feel good? And just get it done.
0: And that's a great game plan. Like, we, you know, we heard people saying, you know, and relatives, oh, you're, you know, you're throwing your money away by renting. And we had no idea how much money we were actually spending until we bought our house. And we're like, we're paying, you know, even when you include PMI, uh, interest, uh homeowners insurance, and the mortgage, we're still paying less money than we're paying for our rental. And I'm thinking when you get that first job, you know, that's, you know, even if it's 35,000, go stay home for a year, you know, put away that money. So now you can have that to buy your first home and then end up, you know, living, che- you know, cheaper than you would have just getting an apartment. I mean, that just makes sense. I don't even know why more people don't even think about that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and so, um, and it you know what, there is a very specific calculation. Um, it's a little bit of a complicated calculation. I can't remember the the website. There's a few of them. But if you go online, um, anyone can do this. Just Google, you know, rent versus buy calculation. You have to plug in quite a few numbers. And, yeah, it's not it's not an easy thing to do. It's different for every market. It's different for every situation. For some people, it does make more sense to rent than buy. But, again, if mentally, if you want to have that feeling of I own my own home, that might mean more to you than even if it costs you a little bit more to own it. Um, And you know what? You might just want to do it do it.
0: No Um, doubt. No doubt. Even though in California, Vancouver,
1: Vancouver where I bought is a very expensive place. And people always say, Oh, you must've been making bucket loads of money because you were working in finance. And no, I was my first job out of finance. I was making $32,000 a year as a junior financial advisor um, in Canadian dollars, which is 27,000 us dollars. 27,000 U.S. a year is not a lot of money. Um, and then by the time I bought my home, I was making 42,000 Canadian, which is about 35,000 U.S. So I would be strict with your your spending and make it a priority.
0: So in your book, you spoke about this and hopefully people have heard this, uh, but you talked about how you were balling on a budget. And that goes into, you know, the money mindset and how people need to get clear on their values and the life they want to live. So will you please define the money mindset and how does knowing one's values, how does that feed into their money mindset? Mm
1: -hmm. So your money mindset is really just knowing that your money absolutely needs to provide you with two things, confidence and security. And that's really all, all your money is. Money is just a tool in life money is a tool to make you feel confident and secure so what's going to make you feel confident and secure owning a house renting a house having a nice car letting your kids go to college and helping them pay for that you know what's going to make you feel good in life and to know what's going to make you feel confident and secure is knowing what your priorities and your values are for your lifestyle day to day and and overall so to do that, you've got to start off, start off by writing a list of all your needs and wants. And I kind of go over this in the book is write down all your needs and wants and, you know, do that by priority um, and then look at it and say, okay, what am I already meeting with the money I have now? Um, am I going into debt to actually pay for these things every month? And if you are, clearly that's a problem. You don't want to be putting all your needs and wants on your credit cards every month. And then, um, you know, I kind of go through the exercise of that throughout the book. And that's where you, you know, you need to sort those things out. So if you're actually paying for things that are every month that are putting you into debt, like you're going to Starbucks every day, or you're going out for lunch with the office, the colleagues at the office every day, and it's costing you $20 for lunch every day, you don't actually really care if you go for pizza and Starbucks every day at lunch. Well, then, you know, why are you doing it? Calculate $20 a day, times 52 weeks a year of working. I mean, that's a F ton of money. Like, <laughs> yeah. where am I But like, that is a lot of money. So I'm sure that there's something that's up the list there. That's a way bigger priority, but it's really hard when you're not consciously spending to look at those things. So you've got to consciously spend and then be in the mindset of, I need, how am I going to get there? And then that mindset of, I am going to get there. This is why I'm getting there and I'm going to make it happen. So just having power over your mindset and can get there, not being financially hopeless, not saying, you know, don't be a victim of your circumstance and say, oh, well, I don't make enough. So, you know, I can't, I can't do this. The reason why I wrote the book is because I have so many friends and and family members that say, oh, I can't afford this. I can't afford that, you know, but then I have girlfriends that go and buy $2,000 purses. I'm like, you just told me that you absolutely love skiing. You couldn't go to Whistler on the weekend because the lift tickets 150 bucks, but you bought a $2,000 purse yesterday. Oh, well, like everybody has this bag. I had to get it. I'm like, are you kidding? But you love skiing. So, you know, it's about- if purse is priority, that's cool. But if you're t- telling me now that it's not, and you were just trying to keep up with the Jones Joneses, then, you know, it's not worth it. So you just got to figure out what it is and then do it. And the The second type of financial hopelessness, which I didn't mention before, is breaking the cycle. There's a lot of people that grew up um, in a community or in a home where money was a scarcity. And, you know, they might have that mindset where, you know, nobody else I grew up with went to college. Nobody else I grew up with was not on welfare. Nobody else I grew up with ever expected anything else of me than to be where I am now, which is struggling. And... And that's the type of financial hopelessness that I actually think is the most devastating is people that don't think that they are capable or worth anything more than what they grew up with and what they saw. And that really breaks my heart because the first one is more kind of, you know, give your head a shake, you're acting foolish. And the second one is is more devastating to me because it's it's a factor of your circumstance and what you grew up with. And that can be harder, that cycle can be harder to break because you were born and bred in that Um, but there's a lot of great stories of people. And you'll, even in my book, you can see, um, people that have come out of stories like that and they have wonderful lives and, you know, they can really, uh, and a great money mindset.
0: (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. So what is the biggest mistake you see people make with money and how can people identify their weaknesses in their money mindset? Um,
1: so, definitely the biggest weakness, uh, it ties all into the same thing, is not knowing what you're fighting for. So, not really pinpointing what your lifestyle needs and priorities are. Um, so, if you're just going through life spending willy nilly, not really knowing where you're at at the end of every month or at the end of your event, and if you're really enjoying your life or not, um, that's the biggest mistake. So, I think it's a great exercise for anyone to go through to just write out your top needs and wants in life, lifestyle-wise, and just say, hey, I'm, am I actually doing these things? Like, if on two vacations a year, that's one of the top things on your wants list. Are you doing it? Um, let's say, no, you're not doing it. Well, why are you not doing it? I don't have enough money. Okay, well, let's let's take a look at your spending. What else are you spending your money on? And then, you know, just doing a really basic analysis. And um, And so I would say that's the biggest mistake is people – not knowing what they're fighting for and unconsciously spending their money. And I think a great way to identify um, the, the weaknesses in their money mindset is actually have a part of the chapter bonuses is um, a test that actually ties into a little quiz that I created. It ties into how to pay off debt and you know, which method of paying off debt would work better for you. And it also it ties in very well with the way you grew up thinking about money and the way your your parents raised you with money And whether it was something that was scarcity or it was, you know, um, not around a lot and people were always worried about it. Um, And I can, I'll I'll give you the link to that um, chapter bonuses so people can do that quiz. But yeah, figuring out, you know, what is it in you that's making you do these things with money that at the end of the month or at the end of the year, every year, it's like when people try to lose weight every year that or after January, they're like, oh, I didn't stick to my resolution again well, why? Like, you know, you have to figure it out. Otherwise you're going to be in the same place all the time. It's the exact same thing with money and money resolutions. And at the end of every month or the end of every year, and you still have those credit card bills rolling in, well, why am I stuck in this cycle? And you have to be conscious and, and make an effort to really look at those things and figure it out. So it's, it's a little bit of analysis, but I think that this, this simple quiz can help people figure it out. So I'll give that link to you.
0: Mm -hmm. So what should go into someone's, plan to become financially free and how far ahead should people actually plan mm-hmm.
1: so in um in my book because I actually um because my book is aimed at people that are in their 20s to early 40s i talk a lot about how it's not really a book on retirement planning um, people are probably a little bit too young to be thinking that far ahead um, a general guideline um, that they talk about in the industry in terms of saving for retirement and you know thinking about the long term uh, is they say that uh, by the time that you're 30 you should have saved one year of your annual salary in your retirement savings so whether that's in your 401k or in Canada we call it RSP Um, Or just in your savings accounts or in equity in your home, you should have one year of your annual salary saved up. By the time you're 40, you should have two years of your annual salary. And presumably when you're 40, your annual salary is going to be higher than it was when you were 30. So that's sort of the guideline to say um, if you're on track. So people can use that as a general guideline if they like to see whether they're on track. Um, But generally I would say to financial freedom your plan you should plan five to ten years because your life is going to change so much Especially when you're in your 20s or 40s because you might get married you might have kids You might have a second kid a third kid a fourth kid And then all that changes so much because you know There's costs associated with those children and things will change all the time you might get divorced That will change things all over again Um, so within five to ten years um, what you have to do is you really have to, again, go back to that needs and wants list. It's not um, it's not an easy exercise. Just, all of this stuff takes work, um, but that's where you have to know what you're fighting for and know those priorities and values. And it's so worth it. Um, and I think people, once you sort of get into the process of it, people realize that it is really worth it. So, mm. Yeah.
0: You said downtown LA, that's going to cost you your firstborn?
1: <laughs> Probably. <laughs> your first two.
0: <laughs> yes, it was crazy you know my, my wife and i we we love house hunters and oh me too and, and we look at it differently now after buying a house and so we look at it and, and somebody says oh i want this i want that and my budget is a million dollars and the person says well i don't know if we can find it and i'm like what did you just say you're not going to be able to find like the two bedroom, two bath for a million dollars. Like that's ridiculous. <laughs> Cuz a million dollars is that's real money.
1: Yeah. You know what my uh, my favorite is Beachfront Bargain Hunt. Do you watch that one? Yes. I'm a a West Coast girl and I am beach all the way and Beachfront Bargain Hunt. Oh my gosh, that opened my eyes. I'm going to be beachfront living. That's <laughs> for sure. And I'm going to get on that Show so that they can find me one on the cheap because that is amazing.
0: Well, it won't be in LA. You um, have- I never <laughs> realized how many
1: people there are.
0: No, well, you, you can always come to Mississippi <laughs> and Texas,
1: <laughs>
0: we get cheaper. Um, you know, I, I enjoy it. Uh, one of the reasons we still live here is the cost of living. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm but I have told every other people, even my boss, if someone has one hundred twenty-five on the table, I'm out. Now that, that that excludes California, New York. I'm not moving there for one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars salary. But uh, you know, along this South area, some areas in the Midwest, if someone has one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars, I'm out, like peace. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the cost of living is just is just ridiculously cheap. Like th- there's a house. Around the corner from, from where we live, it is $150,000. It's a four-bedroom, two-bath. Wow. And it is amazing.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: So it has granite and all that. So I'm like, wow.
1: Well, and you know what? And that's the thing, too, with the whole the housing issue and, and the cost of living. is That's the other thing I find is there's so many people in this 20 to 40 age range um, that I'm in as well right now that they say, well, You know, it's so expensive to live. I mean, my rent is is $1,500 a month and, you know, it's so expensive. I'm like, well, you know, your expectations are fairly high. Do you understand that? And people will say, no, everybody lives in downtown LA or, you know, everybody lives in New York. I'm like, well, you live in Manhattan. You live in Brooklyn. Not everybody lives there. I can tell you that. And if you want to, if again, your priority is to own your own home, you might have to live somewhere else and take a job somewhere else for a year or two and come back to where you want to live. You might have to go save somewhere else, get a job somewhere else where, you know, it's a rural community and they're willing to pay you um, a better wage to live there because it's harder for them to get people to work there and then come back. You know, there is a little bit of a sense of entitlement with some sacrifice. You're not going to get the most out of life. So it's, it's a balance. Mm -hmm,
0: mm -hmm. So you, in your book, you know, you talk about, uh, achieving financial nirvana you know as educators our salaries are what they are you know it's it it's set you're not going in negotiating hey i'm a teacher this my students have done that i want 50000 if the state says your salary is 35 you're getting 35 and i'm a huge evangelist for the side hustle because i believe in not giving away your pretty for the free uh, and I say that because, you know, in the air tech game, there's a lot of sites and these corporations. that reach out to educators all the time. Oh, blog about our product. Go speak at a conference. You know, do this, do that, and you get a t-shirt. You know, a mug, some name recognition. And in the beginning, it can be flattering, but long term, it's like you're getting pimped out because you're creating all this content. You're not getting paid, but they're get, they're benefiting from it. Um, uh-huh. So how does someone figure out what their side hustle can look like? Mm
1: -hmm. Well, I think um, there is a section on uh, side hustles and how to create some extra income in the book. Um, There's actually uh, there's someone in the industry that you've probably heard of, too, that's amazing at side hustles. And I think if anyone listening to the podcast that wants to check this guy out and his website, too, because he has great ideas, um, you've probably heard of Nick Loper, Side Hustle Nation. Yeah, so he has some great ideas. So people should definitely go check that site out if they're thinking about starting their own side hustle. Um, but definitely think about what are your passions, what are your skills, what are your best attributes? Um, how flexible, is this something that you're gonna have to do um, you know, at home on the computer only? Can you drive around? You know, what's your flexibility like? Is this weekends only, is it evenings? Um, so you gotta think about what, what's your flexibility. Um, Can you do stuff in person or is it online? Um, But definitely think about your skills and your attributes at first. It doesn't have to be something you have a degree in, um, but just start writing a list. Even just saying like, I'm detail oriented, or I really like makeup. Um, I'm really good at reviewing books. You can do anything as a side hustle. Um, And it's actually a great example that, um, about teachers, because my mom is a teacher. She's been a first grade teacher for decades and when uh when we were young, my parents got divorced. my mom hadn't been working in many years, and she went back to being a teacher and this um, this business on the side while she was teaching and It was really cool so I had um entrepreneurial entrepreneurial inspiration uh, from her in that way, so she had sort of a cool idea, and she just loved restaurants and she loved going out and she loved being social and she was a teacher at the same time so Um, that's one idea there Um, and it's a way that you can as a parent uh, you can get out there and still be social at the same time so you can do something like that in any city and you don't have to have any sort of special certification Um, so you can do creative ideas like that around social groups and with websites like meetup and stuff now things like that creating a social group a book club or something is really easy you don't need any kind of education or special specialization or licensing or insurance to do that Um, so that's a very low barrier to entry idea um, but yeah, if you check out um, Side Hustle Nation, there's a lot of really good ideas there. But absolutely, I'm always even uh, I have a couple couple friends that I was talking to last week about eBay. Like if you if you love vintage stuff, you can start buying or cars, anything you can start buying and selling anything on eBay. In um, the book, I talk about my little brother. He goes on the Craigslist free section all the time, so he finds stuff I didn't even know about this section actually. Um, And he has an app that tracks the Craigslist free section for any time something comes on it. Like he usually does things in cars and ATVs and motorbikes and stuff like that. And people are giving away free, perfectly running bikes and stuff all the time. And my brother will go pick it up from their house and sell it for 500 bucks the next day on the normal Craigslist, not in the free section. Um, He might clean it up a little bit and, you know, grease up the wheels or something. Um, But he makes tons of money doing it. And um, he's an engineer, And he just does it for fun on the side. And, you know, he probably doesn't even need the money, but he thinks it's fun because he's a a young guy and he loves toys and trinkets and whatnot. So that's another idea. But there's tons of different ways uh, to make money out there and have a side hustle. So, uh, yeah, just think of what you enjoy. Try to make it something you enjoy too, not just something that you're doing for money because otherwise it's just going to be dragging you down and, and feeling like more work hours when it should be something that you're passionate about.
0: Hmm. And then Jay-Z's latest album, 444, he talks about the importance of credit. Now, by now, everyone should know what a FICO score is. But mm-hmm. what actually goes into a FICO, FICO score, and how can someone actually improve theirs?
1: So, um, So first of all, everyone can get their credit score for free now. So everyone should do that on the internet, just as an exercise, so I think Credit Sesame does it for free for everyone in Canada or in the US. Um, so you can go there, there's a bunch of websites that'll give you uh, your credit score for free. If you're above 650, you're doing good, um, you'll probably get approved for a credit card uh, or a mortgage or something almost anywhere. Um, so that's just a general guideline. And the two biggest things um, to know, the biggest areas of your credit score in terms of what they're scoring you on and how to improve your score, um, these together combined are worth 65% of the score. So it is the majority of it is are you paying your bills on time and how much money do you owe um, across all areas? So credit cards and, you know, if you have a mortgage and all that kind of stuff. So 35% of your credit score is based on do you pay your bills on time? So your credit card bills, your your phone bill, your hydro bill, your electric bill, um, all that kind of stuff. Um, and to help keep those things, um, in good standing is doing pre-approved payments. So making sure that, you know, if you have a a credit card through your bank, you can just let your bank know, Hey, you know, I'm going to make sure that I have enough money in my debit account to pay off the credit card every month. So can you just make sure that it gets, uh, paid off right away? Most banks will let you do that. So you don't actually have to log in and, um, and pay for it every, every month, um, and doing the same thing with your cell phone bill and with your home bills, your utilities bills. Um, that'll make sure that those bills are getting paid on time every month so your credit is in good standing. Um, and it keeps building your credit score. And then 30% of your credit score is how much money that you owe. So um, something that plays into that, which you may have heard of before, is your credit utilization score or your, your utilization rate. So people say, um, and all the research shows that using 10 to 30% of your overall utilized uh, credit is the optimal number. So let's say you have uh, one credit card from Macy's that has a a limit of $1,000, and you have another credit card from your bank, Bank of America, that has a credit card limit of $1,000 as well. So you have two credit cards. Um, You wanna make sure that you're only spending every month within 10 to 30 percent of your overall credit so you're you're spending you know around 300 a month on your macy's card and 300 a month on your bank of america card and you know not more than that you can spend a little bit less Um, and if you want to spend more than that you might want to get a credit increase on your bank of america card because if you start spending you know 900 out of a thousand dollar limit every month out of your bank of america card to FICO on your credit score it's going to look like oh well you know this guy or this girl they're getting close to their maximum credit amount so oh maybe they it looks like you don't have enough credit you're spending so close to your maximum and then it looks like you're you're tight on credit so it could bring down your credit score so keeping your utilization within 10 to 30 percent and just remembering that 65 percent of your overall credit score is based on do you pay your Do you pay your bills on time? And how much money do you owe? Ideally, obviously having no credit, um, no outstanding credit card debt. Um, but if you are spending on your credit cards, making sure you're paying them off every month, and using ten to thirty percent of your your utilization rate.
0: Awesome, awesome. We have come to the end of this podcast. There was so much jewels dropped here today. <laughs> and we covered a lot, but what would you say is the single most important thing for people to start to set themselves on solid financial footing and where can people buy your book?
1: I would say the number one thing, before anyone does anything, like I mean anything, budgeting, investing, and saving, credit score, nothing. Nobody gives a damn about anything if you're not spending consciously. If you are spending money and you don't know what you're spending your money on, you are a lost soul in the world of money. Like you're, there's no point. There's no point in thinking about anything until you know what you're spending your money on and what your values are. So taking a look at, you know, print off the last three months of bank statements, credit card and your debit card. Look at it, think about it and say, Did I just waste three months of money? If you didn't waste three months of money, congratulations. If you think, you know what? I accomplished nothing in the last three months of my spending. Then think about it. Make a list of needs and wants. Change it and start spending consciously. And then you can start accomplishing all the other things on your list of needs and wants. So spending consciously is definitely my number one thing for people to take away from this. Because, yeah, I mean, you really can't accomplish anything else if you're just throwing your money away. Um, and anyone can buy the book on amazon.com or .ca. I would really appreciate a review as well. Um, and you can also buy the book on youngfunfree.com. I do lots of educational um, posts and stuff on my Instagram, Leanna underscore Hawk. And, um, also at Leanna Blackhawk on Twitter as well. So if people want to follow me on social media. That would be fantastic.
0: Awesome. Thank you again, Leanna, for being a guest on the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: You are welcome. People, you know how I do this. This is going up on SoundCloud and iTunes. I need you to go subscribe, leave a message. You know, your boy's trying to get Oprah on the show. I need to show her. I got a little pull. The video cast is going up on YouTube. I'm going to put this out on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter and share this message of financial empowerment that Leanna dropped us with today. So as always, people, invest in you, EDU, peace.